apparently as a joke at about this point in Star Trek's production, there, there's a bust of Gene Roddenberry in the offices. And periodically, Rick Berman would go over and put a blindfold over it. I have to admit, that actually made me chuckle. <laughs> like, don't look at what we're doing. Don't look at what we're doing. Don't look at Deep Space Nine too closely. <laughs> don't look at what we're doing in Season 7 TNG. Just, just... It's cool. We're cool. We're all cool. Um, so... They were like, all right, let's break another of our rules. We've already introduced a family member, which was a no-no. Now we're going to have pirates in space. Now, these are actually closer to mercenaries because, or poirates, because these, these are nowhere near as bad as pirates can get. But they're still bad. They're just, you know, they're Star Trek pirates, you know. It's actually funny, given how much we would learn about the underbelly of society in later works, especially with the Orion Syndicate and things like that. But... This was apparently something that was actually considered controversial at the time for Star Trek. These guys. The, these marshmallow puffs. <laughs> Anyways, so we start off in a seedy bar, because of course it has to be a seedy bar. It can never be clean. Clean would indicate that these people actually give a crap. And Troy tries to seduce the guy, which is just, okay, whatever. And we... <laughs> We see the Uridians again. They really like returning to the Uridians. Information brokers, it's helpful. Uh, and, and TNG is finally adopting the regular currency usage of latinum, by the way, which is something they... Uh, how do I phrase this? I've always liked the idea of latinum and gold press latinum and all that being like the common currency across like the whole galaxy because it is the currency that's pushed by the Ferengi Alliance. And... I mean, that is actually the purpose of a currency, is to be a universally valued third-party good that can be used as a medium of trade. I mean, I know this sounds strange, but if the whole galaxy uses the same currency, it just simplifies things a lot, doesn't it? Anyway, so, you know, that, that's kind of cool. Um, his sister, Beverly, she has, like, no role in this episode. And, oh yeah, Picard's totally dead. All right. Just about every interview I've read about this has been disappointment or discouragement, like, ah, the episode sucked, it's, it's crap. Now, just speaking of Part 1, Part 1's actually not that bad. I would say Part 1 really only has one substantial flaw to it. And this is it. The Picard is totally dead plot. No one. No one watching this show at season seven at this point is going to think that the main character is actually dead. It's It completely deflates anything. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. He's totally dead. Uh-huh. So what's actually happening? I remember me... I'm watching this with my mom at this point, Laura mom, and we're sitting there in the living room, and that, you know, it's like, oh my God, he's telling the truth. She actually burst out laughing. It actually startled me, because I was, like, zoning in on the episode, and she was like, she just burst out laughing. I'm like, ah, what? And she's like, he's not dead. Yeah, they're totally going to kill Picard. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on. Now, this is a problem, because the next several scenes are good. Frakes does a decent job of acting as someone who is, how do I phrase this? When you're portraying someone who is angry and hurt, an actor's usual tendency is to over-portray that and to go over the top with it. And Frakes doesn't do that. He actually puts in a surprisingly nuanced performance of someone who just has this wound that he is carrying around, and he is insistent on getting this thing fixed. 
It's actually surprisingly good. He even has this confrontation with Troy, which doesn't even end on a good note, because the two of them actually basically come to verbal blows over this. And she just straight up yells at him in his face because of how much she's affected by all this. It's surprisingly good stuff. And I found myself thinking, huh, now I'm always willing to accept a dumb premise for a good result. But unfortunately, I just can't step over that stumbling block of Picard's totally dead. So I found myself thinking as the episode was processing, how do we fix this? Like from a creative perspective, how do we make this episode work and maintain the the core element? Riker's upset, Troy's upset, the crew's trying to figure out what's going on, you know, trying to, to figure out and deduce, and then Riker ends up on the ship and blah, blah, blah. Be, I, I actually did come up with an answer, and I will share it, but I'm going to save it for later. I'd like you guys to do me a favor and think on the same question. And I'm very curious what you guys would do to try and fix this. This is your homework for today. Where's my... Oh, I have glasses on. Hang on, we'll put them on the edge of my nose. This is your homework for today. I'd like everyone to... No, I, I really would be legitimately curious what you guys come up with. Especially if some of us come up with the same ideas. That's why I'm going to give a pause here so you have time to think about this. Anyways, so the episode starts. Riker actually asks Admiral Chakotay... <laughs> Uh, okay, Admiral Chakotay, you know, can I get this, and get he gets the assignment, alright, no problem. He plays hardball with the Uridian, which is actually kind of nice, because the Uridian's like, hey, can I get a bigger room? Uh, no, they, you're being treated in the lap of luxury, dude, this is as good as it gets. Oh, okay, okay. So I'd like a shuttle, so I could just go and explore. Alright, yeah, that's a possibility. Um... I might also give you time. What do you mean? Well, you're wanted in the Klingon Empire. Oh, God, don't let the Klingons take me. Don't let the Klingons take me. I'll consider it. Now, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> you know what? To my knowledge, we never find out what happens to this guy, so I'm actually kind of curious what the resultant there is. Do they end up, you know, arresting him in Federation space? Even if they did, it wouldn't do the guy any good. I'm pretty sure the Federation has an extradition treaty with the Klingons, so, uh... Anywho... <clears throat> So, then we get to the big phaser fight. I just want to point out really quick that Data gives this big speech to Riker. You shouldn't go down. I know, but I'm going down this time. Okay. So, Riker gets kidnapped. Good job, Will. Although, it does kind of work out in the end. But still, that was a very dumb move. But the phaser fight in general was awful. I hate to say that so bluntly, but it really was. And I want to discuss part of why. First of all, you see, part of the problem is it's this really big, long phaser fight. Which actually sounds awesome. Having a legitimately decent action scene is something that I'm totally down for. As long as it's good. You know, I'm not one of those people who thinks action has no place in Star Trek. So, and I know people like that. No, no offense to anybody who feels that way. It's just, I don't agree. I think there's plenty of room for action in Star Trek. As long as it's good. I feel like I've said that before. <clears throat> so instead, what we have is a bunch of people shooting at each other's cover. Like, actively aiming for the cover. No one hits anybody. Except for the initial volley, which is a surprise attack. Even on XCOM, they would have higher accuracy rating than this, for God's sakes. And that's the pro the first problem. Nothing happens. It's just... It's like a really boring tennis match. Another admittedly unavoidable problem is all of the phaser effects and whatnot were done in post. Now, that's actually unusual. Usually when they do this kind of stuff, they have practical effects. And as I talked about extensively back during Timescape, 
the more work you do before you get to the editing room, the better the work is going to be in the editing room. The less you do, the more obvious it tends to be, and this is a good example of that. Because the phaser fire looks fake, the shots, look, the explosions look fake, the scarring looks fake, because it all is. It's literally just a bunch of people going in total silence at each other. This brings me to the second problem. No actual choreography. Riker has the beginnings of a plan. He just fails miserably at actually executing it. They don't try any kind of tactics. There's no attempt at repositioning. There's no attempt at covering fire. All they do is just shoot at each other's rocks. Do something with it, for God's sakes. Make it actually interesting or engaging. Have the crew maybe try to interact or, or work around the mercenaries. Or maybe have the mercenaries try to do something to interrupt the terrain. Now, I know, I know. They're limited on budget. But I can think of at least 15 ways to push this forward. Granted, a lot of those involve budget. Like, knocking on one of the trees is one of my first thoughts. And that's just a huge distraction. And, of course, serves as an additional barrier, which they can now use to maneuver without risking losing their cover. Now you can't knock over a tree in the middle of these shots. I get that, so that's not allowed. But, you know, just, just something. Come on. Or, here's a thought, don't do this. If you are that limited by budget and time, just don't do it. And that's the problem. Ultimately, this whole phaser fire exercise is actually filler. Why is this a two-parter again? Anyways, <clears throat> I'll look into it next time. Surely, surely the answer will come next time. Pro tip, no, wow. Anyways, <clears throat> I guess I can talk about that now. For years, I've wondered why this is a two-parter. Sometimes a two-parter happens because, you know, it's, it's a cliffhanger. Sometimes a two-parter happens because there's just so much story to tell that they really want to go into it. They don't want to truncate it. Sometimes it's a two-parter because of budget reasons. And there's, you know, multiple reasons. You know, sometimes it's a two-parter because multiple of these combined. For all of the reasons this could be a two-parter, I've never been able to figure out exactly why it is. There's nothing indicating it. I have checked every resource I have to figure out why it's a, not a, it's a two-parter. With one exception. There's one thing I haven't read about. I just realized that. So maybe that will give me the answers. Because otherwise I'm just staring at this like, okay. This isn't even that great of an episode, for God's sakes. Although I do want to say praise to the enemy ship. For once, thank God, for once, the enemy ship is not better than the Enterprise. I cannot tell you how much it irritates me that the threat of the week is a big ship that somehow overpowers the galaxy. That, that has been such a pain in my arse for so much of TNG. I've complained about this this whole time, going all the way back to Season 1. For once, the mercenary ship is actually outgunned and outmatched in basically every way by the Enterprise. But it does have one advantage, and this advantage is actually cool. Like, like this makes perfect sense. It has this the reflective armor energy barrier, whatever, that tends to absorb incoming energy signals. Which means you're going to have a hard time track getting a lock on it because a scanner, by definition, is sending out an energy pulse and then returning the information on it, right? That's cool. It actually makes, if we're being completely blunt, it's a type of cloak that makes way more sense than the actual cloaking devices in this franchise. This is actually the same kind of thing that the Normandy uses over in Mass Effect. This is an awesome idea, and I really like it. And it helps to equalize things a little bit. They're still completely outgunned in a one-on-one -on -one match, but at least they have some advantage so they can try to avoid a one-on-one -on -one match. And that makes sense for a mercenary ship. Awesome. Which brings us to the mercenary ship. So first, this is funny. I wrote a note here. 
that says these little neuro things. Actually, I think they're on the right side of their neck. Sorry. Uh, hang on. Yeah, right side. I'm right. Uh, these things are the sign of a bad leader. If you have to rely on a device that you can use at any time to cause severe pain in your crew in order to maintain their loyalty, you are a terrible leader. Just straight up. What's, why I find that funny is Picard actually says that to Talara's face later in the episode. So, how does he control this thing, anyways? Is it just mental? He just reaches down and touches his belt. There's no buttons, he just touches the belt. How does it know which one to go to? How does it know which pain setting to go to? How does it know how to kill? I, I don't know, it's, it's whatever. Super science, we're, we're getting into TOS science here. You remember Spock's brain, right? I have a button that can control Spock's entire body, which makes approximately zero sense. So here we are. <laughs> we're just at that point of science. Whatever. It's probably mental. I don't know. How much of a wreck is this stupid ship, anyways? It, feel, it seems like the ship is barely holding it together. Now, I guess that's kind of the aesthetic they were going for. But at the same time, I don't know. It... it You'd think they'd at least be able to keep the ship running. I mean, even the Millennium Falcon, for all of its fault flaws, was a really, really good ship when when the hyperdrive was actually working. <clears throat> but no, it, it was. It was a damned good ship. It was so hodgepodge because it had been modified and then modified and then modified and then modified. This thing feels like this is a, a, a broken-down Winnebago, right? <laughs> Which can barely function. And is just this far ahead of the overall curve of how far it's not really doing its job properly. Maybe this is why he took the Romulan's deal, which we don't know about yet. You know, because he really needs the money to help upgrade his frickin' ship. Where does the money go, anyways? He probably doesn't pay his people since they're basically press-ganged. Does he pay his people? That's actually an interesting question. Like, I'm sorry, you'd think he pays his people. He can't be that bad of a leader, right? He can't literally rely on slavery... You know why? Because he has to sleep. I don't care how quick on the trigger you are on that thing. If you are asleep, they can get in there and put a knife in your brain before you have a chance to do anything. So he has to pay them, right? He can't completely rely on the thing. I don't know. Picard shows up. Oh my god, he's alive. I am so shocked. Lore shock. I'd ask for lore shock emotes, but this is YouTube, not Twitch. Get some integration going. Once I take over both corporations, we'll do it. I just need to control Amazon and Google at the same time. That should be easy enough. First, I just have to take over Disney. Then the rest is going to be easy. Disney, Disney's been doing so much of the work for me. It's awesome. Now, <clears throat> Picard lays everything out for Riker very obviously. It's, in fact, if I'm being honest, this is actually one of the flaws of the episode because it is a little too obvious how hard he's pushing this narrative. Riker it picks up on it immediately and goes along with it immediately. And so we now have basically a good cop, bad cop scenario. The funny thing is Riker's the good cop and Galen is the bad cop, by the way. Nice reference. I like that. <clears throat> so I, I do have a note here. Picard gives the whole story and he says, you know, I, I was curious what was happening. So I followed them and they, then I got into a fight and they kidnapped me and, and I ended up joining their ship. This is going to sound strange, but what Picard did is astonishingly stupid. He should have come back to the Enterprise to investigate and sent in people who are not himself on his own where nobody even knows that he was actually there, necessarily. He could have died. They could have just shot him with an actual gun or knifed him or whatever. They didn't. He got lucky. 
I cannot believe how stupid Captain Jean-Luc Picard was. I know he's into archaeology, but this is a little bit of above and beyond. As an addendum to that, I have to say, speaking of really cool technology that will never be seen again, transporter guns. That's actually a really cool idea. We'll see something barely like this over in Insurrection with the little uh, transponder signals, which the, the little drones shoot, phew, and then they have a signal. This is, that's as close as we ever get. This is an awesome idea. And if you think about it, this is an astonishingly powerful technique. I mean, yeah, stun setting. This is a capture setting. This is a... And then you can just beam aboard the, the, the person you have just shot. That is... I, I can't even begin to start with the tactical uses of that. I am astonished that they would never use this. Then again, this is the same Federation which invented a gun that can shoot bullets that then teleport to their target and with a targeting system can see through things. In dampening environments, they, can, they have a gun that can shoot through walls with incredible accuracy and full deadly force. This is, the, this, this is that Federation. They never use that gun either, by the way. That's Field of Fire, by the way, DS9. <sighs> Anyways. So, um, we see Picard and Talera talk. And we talk... Picard worked really, really hard to save the lives of the crew of that outpost. It's actually kind of funny in its own right. I do have to credit this episode to once again making sense. Right? They're like, Riker's putting in his codes. And Troy has to be the one to point out, he knows those codes are changed. Oh my god, they actually changed their command codes. This is something that other Star Treks, Voyager, excuse me, would not get correct in other episodes. So credit to continuity, or credit to logic, or whatever you want to call that. Credit to brain having. As a quick aside, I also find it weird that Worf, the tactical officer is the one who has to be like, Sir, you don't understand. We're totally helpless. And Data's the one who's like, Dude, you're an idiot. This is obviously part of the, the tech technique. You're dumb. <laughs> uh, quickly, speaking of which, speaking of you're dumb, the to-be-continued as they're shooting the nacelle is just, Really? Really? They're not going to blow up the Enterprise here. We know that. There's no tension from that. This is the problem of the threat of the weak in its most ex exemplified form. There is no threat here. Anyways, <clears throat> quick aside, I do like seeing Natoth and Savik again. It was, it was good to see them. Uh, the woman who plays Natoth in season one of Babylon 5 plays, I forget her name, Vakora or something like that, in on the ship. And the woman who plays Savik, which is Robin Curtis, I wrote her name down, she plays the, Romul the Romulan on the crew. And, I, and as soon as I saw her, I was like, that's Savik. I can't unsee that, that's Savik. I like the headcanon that it literally is Savik, but I'll get into that in the next episode because it's more relevant there. So, promised I'd give you my ideas, and you know, in about a year I'll be able to read your guys' ideas. Here's mine. Don't make it Picard. I know, it's an extremely simple idea, but as I kept watching the episode, the more I watched it, the more I was like, if this wasn't Picard, this would make so much sense. Have it be someone else, probably not even a main character, to be honest. Have it be a guest star, or, you know, a lower decks kind of a person. Someone who is Starfleet, who is of decent rank to, you know, be, be of someone who has the experience and skill to pull off a lot of the things Picard does, but ultimately is not a main character, so there's no, oh my god, instead it's, you know, Lieutenant What's-His-Face is dead. 
have Riker be really beaten up about the fact that Lieutenant What's-His-Face is dead. On the one hand, this is a nice way to try and bypass the whole, you know, red shirt problem, which periodically they do. In, in both TNG and DS9, they have occasionally gotten around the red shirt problem. And then other times they just do it, do what Descent Part 1 did and just kill a random security guard because he was there. He didn't even have a name. He was just dead. Anyways. And then it also makes, you know, it makes it so that Riker's whole I'm going to find what happened because Lieutenant What's-His-Face died for no reason in a bar fight. All of a sudden we actually fully believe that Lieutenant, let's call him Lieutenant Yoshi because he's staring at me on my desk right there. (laughs) Lieutenant Yoshi. Is actually, we can actually believe that he's actually dead. And so all of a sudden there's a lot more power and impact to Riker's reaction and Troy's reaction. And it makes sense that those two would be the most impacted. Why? Because they're the personnel officers. It is literally their job to know every person on that ship. They're the ones who manage the duty rosters, the schedules, who goes in what department, promotions, reports back to command. That's their job. They should know everyone on that ship. And this could be someone who was an up-and-comer, someone who... Ideally, this would be someone who would be in the background multiple times. I mean, you could make it a row if you wanted to, to go as a, a, a pre-existing or something like that. But ideally, this would be someone we've seen before. Maybe Ensign McKnight, I don't know, something. Then, the twist happens. They're actually alive, and Riker's like, hmm. And then the rest of the episode basically proceeds as it does. It's just, it's now Lieutenant Yoshi, or Ensign McKnight, or whoever... Actually, if it was Rolera, that would be funny. Instead of it being Riker. And all of a sudden, the episode just kind of locks into place for me. Because the biggest problem for me is the fact that this is frickin' Picard. And there's so many problems with it being Picard. Now, now the biggest problem with my re- reiteration, my rewrite, is what the hell is Picard doing this whole time? And I have to admit, I don't actually have a good answer to that. I don't. I've thought about it, and honestly, the best way is to just write him out of the story, because he has no real purpose or point in it, unless we want to undo the Data Wharf thing that happens in Part 2, which, actually, I'd be totally okay with undoing the Data Wharf thing, because it's a stupid B-plot. So there you go. Boom. Fixed. What do you guys think? And again, looking forward to hearing your thoughts, and I'll see you guys next time.